0: I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. This is part two of our series, so we're just getting off the ground with this brand new series called Fruit. And uh, today we're going to talk about love. Say that word with me, love, love. We're going to learn about love, and I believe that God's going to challenge us in our thinking about love. Love is a very interesting concept in our culture. Have you noticed that? Um, Love is generally defined in our culture as some kind of emotional response, some kind of feeling. In fact, we're going to show you a video. Caleb put together a video for us of some famous, iconic love songs. And when we come to these songs, uh, if you know them, just sing along, all right? I I believe that you're going to know a lot of them. So just feel free to sing out loud. It doesn't matter if you sound good or sound bad. doesn't matter. We know these songs. So go ahead. Let's hit it. You remember some of those songs? I saw some of you mouthing the words, singing along. That kind of brings us into our culture. Our culture is interesting. Love is most commonly connected to romantic feelings. I love her. I love him. I'm falling in love. Those kinds of phrases. In fact, I just heard, a, I think, to be a remarkable engagement story. Um, this guy asked, went and asked the father for permission to marry his daughter. And then they, this is a true story. The guy then told the girl to meet him at a park in their neighborhood. Where the guy had already told the family and friends to, to come early and hide. And they, they were going to be a part of the engagement process. And so um, she came and he got down on one knee and he proposed and she said yes. And then the guy motions for all the friends and family to come out from hiding. And so they were celebrating together. And when all their family and friends gathered around them, the guy said, but hang on, we're not done yet. The girl took off her coat, her dress, her wedding dress was revealed. And the guy said, welcome to our wedding. The minister is walking up now. So right there on the spot, they had the wedding and the engagement all in one shot. And and the dad was thinking, didn't have to pay for a wedding, right? In our culture, it's so interesting how love is connected to romantic feelings. It's also connected, often connected, to friendship feelings. You may have heard the phrase, I love you, man, you know, that kind of thing, or we love you guys, you know, it's connected to those friendship feelings. Also in our culture, love is often simply a stronger version of like. For instance, I love ice cream. I don't know if you've ever said that, or I love whatever. I just want you to think, what do you love? Some kind of food. And you're going to say it all together. Ready? One, two, three. I love... There you go. That's what we do, right? I love ice cream. I love that restaurant. I love that movie. I love that car. Whatever. Love encompasses such a huge range of feelings for us. And yet in our culture, what's so interesting is we only have one word for love. It's love. And yet many other cultures, many other languages use multiple words to express some of the different concepts that in in our English language is only denoted by one word. For example... Um, many, many words are used in the ancient Greek culture. If you don't know, the the New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated so that we could understand it. So this is the culture that Jesus grew up in. Um, This is the culture that the Apostle Paul was writing in. This is the culture that the Apostle John was writing in, um, this ancient culture of Greek. And they essentially highlighted four particular words for love. First off was storge, or family love between parents and children, between siblings. Um, Philia, or Platonic love, is um, affectionate love between friends, love between members of a community, or maybe members of a church, or members of a team. Um, Eros is another one. It's erotic love. It's named after a Greek god, um, a, a god for fertility and love. It's a passionate form of love that arouses sensual, sexual, romantic feelings. And then lastly... The one that we use throughout the Bible is the word agape. It's selfless love. It's an altruistic, sacrificing kind of love. So agape, this word, um, is used when the Apostle Paul is writing about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we are studying right now in our series. So I want you to take a look at what Paul says in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think that the Apostle Paul has love first on the list because he believes that it's the core. It's the core of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians 5, and we're going to be looking more and more at Galatians 5 throughout this series. But Paul says in Galatians 5, what is important is faith expressed itself expressing itself in love. So are you ready to learn about love today? Are you ready to talk about love? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, just ask them, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to learn about love today? Yeah, let's pray. God, thank you for today and the chance we have to step into your word and we ask over the next several minutes that you would just infuse your Holy Spirit into all that we talk about and think about that your word would come alive, the Bible would come alive to us so that we could learn about this whole concept of agape, sacrificial, selfless love. This is a a concept, honestly, that is foreign to our culture and so often it's foreign to us. And so we ask that we would be able to grow and develop and learn this through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, you would begin producing this kind of love in us. We pray it in your name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. Grab that full page outline that you have in your brochure. I'd love for you to fill that out and follow along as we go through today. God gave 10 commandments. First off, he gave 10 commandments to establish his people. And he told his people, this is how I want you to live. Um, This is what it looks like to be my people. And then later on, Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and he narrows it down to just one command. And we talked a little bit about this last week. John 13, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Read these words with me. Love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. And we're, man, think about that for just a minute. You must love each other as Jesus has loved us. Wow. And then he says, all people will know that you are my followers if you, what? Love each other. So Jesus said to his followers, this is how I want you to live. This is what it looks like to live as my followers. Agape love, selfless, sacrificing love. We are to love each other. Now what's interesting is you see that that was John 13. And the the writer, John, is the one that was recording these words. If you don't know who John was, John was one of the 12 disciples and he was actually one of the closest three to Jesus, one of the closest three disciples. In fact, John, in his writing, he does a little interesting thing. He talks about himself in third person. When he includes himself in a group and a listing of people that's present, he, he uses this phrase. He says, the one whom Jesus loves. So he really knew Jesus' love. He felt loved by Jesus. And so he is recording this. He's writing this. And later on, John writes letters to churches, to local churches. And this is what he says to these groups of Jesus followers. Take a look at 1 John 3.11. This is the teaching you have heard from the beginning. We must love each other. It's that word, agape love. So John emphasizes this phrase of love each other. He takes his cue from Jesus, and he emphasizes this phrase five times in this letter of 1 John. He wants to make sure that we get this. He wants to make sure that we understand this is not optional. In fact, in verse 16, John extrapolates. He describes, explains what he's talking about. Take a look. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so that gives us a working definition of love. I want you to write this down in your outline. It's the first fill in the blank. This will help you remember it. Love is giving up what I want to, uh, I'm sorry. Love is giving up what I want to seek the best for someone else. Let's read it together. Love is giving up what I want to seek the best for someone else. This kind of love, agape love, is a choice. It's not a feeling. It expresses itself in action and it always seeks the best of someone else. It always seeks the best for others. When I set aside my preferences and my desires and I act on the behalf of someone else without looking to receive anything in return, I am loving that person with agape love, selfless sacrificing love. This, this is not sentimental feelings. Like these songs that we listened to earlier, this is not about feelings and emotions at all. This is not about being nice to someone. This is real, down-to-earth, practical action of accepting and caring and providing and helping and encouraging and supporting someone else. It is is something that will cost us if we're really loving them with agape love. True love is always connected to giving. I want want to back up and say that again because we need to hear this. True love is always connected to giving. Now, we already read 1 John 3.16, which is a great passage, but you guys probably know John 3.16, which really shows us that true love is always connected to giving. Look what Jesus tells us. God loved the world so much that he, what? Gave. God loved the world so much that he gave. God gave because he loved God's love cost him something. It's a, self, a selfless sacrificing, giving kind of love. And then John continues this concept in our passage, 1 John 3:17. Suppose someone has enough to live on and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not help, then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. This is love that is practical. This is love that demonstrates by action. This kind of love gets its hands dirty and its heart engaged in loving that person. John continues in John, uh, 1 John 4. Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God Because God is love. Every one of those words listed throughout that passage is the word agape. Selfless, sacrificing love. I love that last line. Whoever does not love does not know God. You don't know who he is. You have no relationship with him. Why? Because, John says, God is is love. Love is his very nature. Love is the very essence of who God is. In fact, you are never more like God than when you love someone. And then John emphasizes, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world, So that we could have life through him. This is what real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place to take away our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us that much, we also should love each other. Now we've been talking about how the fruit of the Spirit is all relational in nature, and we established that last week. It's all about uh, the Holy Spirit producing in us the qualities, the characters, and the attributes that help us with the relationships that we have in our lives. And we see this. John is pushing this forward, that it is the source is God, and God is love. And because he is loving us, we have the ability to love other people. That's exactly what John says in 1 John 4, 19. Come on, read this one with me. We love, come on, read it with me. We love because God first loved us. Do you see how it works? We have the ability to love. We have the capacity of love to love someone because God loved us first. Even if this person is hard to love, even if this person is difficult to love, even if this person is impossible to love, you have people like that in your life? Even if they are that way, It doesn't matter. You know why? Because God first loves us. And because he loved us first, we have the ability to love. It doesn't depend, hang on here, it doesn't depend on the other person. That was worth getting up this morning for, right there. It doesn't depend on the other person. Our love depends on God's love for us. We have the capacity, we have the ability to love. We can love, we are able to love because God first loved us. He went first. I want you to get this down. To love others, I must realize how much God loves me. To love others, I must realize how much God loves me. If you're struggling in loving other people, if you're struggling in loving certain other people, if you're struggling with love, period, listen, that will never change until you and I realize how much God loves us, until we come to terms with how much God loves us. Paul wrote about this, the Apostle Paul, wrote about how much God loves us, how great his love is for us. Look what he says. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Now you could stop there and say, oh, that's enough. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. I, I mean, I love you, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to send my son to die for you. I mean, that's incredible love. And, and, and he sent his one and only son to die for us. And on a, on a um, earthly, humanly, uh, physical, relational level, we can understand that, that the, the great love that he shows to us by sending his son to die for us. But then Paul adds this next part that really gets me every time I read it. Look what it says. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What's a sinner? Sinners are people who don't want anything to do with God. They are people who are far away from God. God who are not wanting God to be a part of their life, who are stiff-arming God in their life. And he says, when you were that way, I still loved you. When you were hard to love, difficult to love, impossible to love, I still loved you. I sent my son to die for you. When you didn't want anything to do with me, I still loved you. I still reached out to you. Wow. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves you. He wants the best for us. But we don't always realize this, do we? Many of us struggle with this this concept, this idea of God's love for us. We struggle with it because we know who we are inside, we know who we are in our past. We know who we are right now and how we live our lives. And we, and we think, I, I could never be good enough. I am not good enough to deserve, to earn God's love. And God is saying all along, you don't have to deserve it or love it. It's just like the song that we sang. It is a reckless kind of love that is always coming. We could never do enough to earn or deserve his love. We realize that. And God says, I know. That's why I choose to love you. No matter what, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are right now, God chooses to love us. Wow. We struggle with this. And so I want to give you something that has helped me for for many years, to be honest, has helped me a very practical way that helps me to realize the love that God has for me. And so if if you can look at your brochure, you should have another white page in your brochure that was with your outline. And this is just a page of homework. Yeah, I'm giving you homework this week. And it's just for this week, all right? And it should take only like five to 10 minutes a day. And this is what I want you to do. Each day of this week, I want you to take just a few minutes and you can see the instructions at the top of the page. I want you to first start by asking God to help you realize how much God loves you. And then I want you to read the passage or passages and they're really easy, really quick to read. I want you to read them and then I want you to write down your thoughts about that passage. Now, some of you I know are OCD, anal kind of personality types and you're gonna do all of this this afternoon. That's not what I want you to do. Turn to the person and just say, no, no, no. Turn to them right now and just say, no, no, no. Don't do it all in one day, okay? There are others of us who won't even pull this out of our brochure, it will stay there and probably hit the garbage can about Wednesday, okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor again and say, no, 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 don't do that either, okay? Don't be one of those extremes. What I want you to do this week, what I want you to do is to take this page and this week, starting tomorrow, I want you to read those first three passages, short verses there, and then I want you to think, I want you to, I want you to consider What do these passages do to help you realize more of God's love? How do they help you? What what are these passages saying to you? To you. There's no right or wrong. It's what God's word is saying to you. By the way, this is the habit of meditating on God's word. I'm I'm sliding this in here. You don't even know that I'm, I'm asking you to do this. But that's what it is. It's a habit. It's a discipline, a spiritual habit. And I do it every day. I look at God's word and I ask myself, God, what are, you, what are you saying to me? Help me to understand what you are saying to me through this passage. And then I write it down, I journal it. That's what I'm asking you to do on a really easy level. And so I want you to ask God, God, what are you saying to me about how much you love me? How can I, how can I grow in my understanding, my realization of your love for me? I know it will help you. If you do this, I know God's word will help you to grasp and realize and understand more of God's love in your life. John finishes off his passage in his letter in 1 John 4. Take a look at it. If people say, I love God, but hate their brothers or sisters, they are liars. Those who do not love their brothers and sisters whom they um, have seen cannot love God, whom they have never seen. And God gave us this command. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. And sisters and friends, look at this. I don't want you to miss how John challenges us right at the end. Look at verse 20. "Those who do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have, what? Seen." Don't miss this. John is saying, "Hey, you who do not love your brothers and sisters whom you have seen, keep that in mind. Remember what he said in John first John 3:17? Suppose someone sees a brother or sister in need. This is so important for us to understand this because this is really the definition, the active working definition of loving each other. To love others, I must develop an awareness of those around me. Get that down in your outline. I must develop an awareness. I must not only realize how much God loves me, but I must develop an awareness of those around me. I got to see the needs of the people around me. Now friends, because of the pace of life and because of the stress of life and because of everything that takes place going on in our lives, at work and at home and at school and all this, I, I have to say that all of us are guilty. Turn to the neighbor and tell them, all of us are guilty of this. Come on. All of us. We all are. Ready? Here it is. We are guilty of living life all about ourselves. Hmm. We focus on my life, on my issues, on my stress. We don't see people around us who are struggling, people in need, do you know how I, how I know this? Because I see it. I see it in our culture. And you probably have faced it just like I have. When you see someone, and I'm not picking on technology, but when you see someone looking at their phone, walking in the middle of a parking lot, holding up traffic, what are they focused on? Their world. They, they don't see anyone around them. When you have a driver that is, blocking traffic, or I, an Uber driver not just recently over at Vaughn's parking lot just kind of pulled right in the middle and was blocking three ways of traffic, waiting to pick up the person who was coming out of the store. Okay? They didn't park, they just stopped. <laughs> okay? when, when we, and, and we, we, you know, we shake our head at that and go, ah, get out of the way, you know, but we're just as bad. We're not aware of the lives of people around us. We become focused only. We're guilty of focusing only on our lives. And so the question that I want to ask you, and I think what we need to start asking ourselves, is what do those around me need? The people that you work with, the people that you live near, the people that you have in your circle of influence that you see on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about reaching the world because sometimes that's what we do. We go, oh, I'm called to reach the world, that's great. But it's too big. You alone can never reach the world. But guess what? You could reach the person that you work with or you go to school with or you know or you see on a regular basis, you could reach them. And so, I believe God is challenging us to love those people in our circle of influence, which obviously includes our church. Wow. What do those around me need? Now, I would, not a betting man, but I would almost bet you some money that this is not the question you wake up with when you get out of bed every morning. The question that we ask ourselves when we wake up every morning is, what do I need? And I don't care how much of a loving person you think you are and how much of a giving person you think you are, we all are guilty of this. We have a tendency to shrink our perspective, our paradigm, our view down to this when all along we've got people around us who have needs. Recently, I've noticed a few things. I I could teach on this, just this alone could be a week after week after week series of what people around us need. But there's a few things that I've noticed that I wanted, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Bart, give these. This is a starting point. If you want to start loving people around you, These are some areas that you can do it, and they are easier than we realize. The first thing I want you to get down, because life is hard, oftentimes discouraging, life is disappointing. Those around me need encouragement. You want to love people around you? Encourage them. Words, cards, texts. I mean, you say, well... You mean that I would have to have their phone number? Yeah, that's the kind of people I'm talking about. I'm not talking about pe- reaching people that you never see. I'm talking about people that are right around you. And what would, what would our world be like if you and I just became those kinds of encouragers? Just, just started reaching out and encouraging those to, around us just to keep going. You have no idea. Sometimes, many times, often, there are people in our circle of influence who are ready to give up You say, well, yeah, I don't like my job either. I'm not talking about job. I'm talking about life. I mean, I've been reading a lot just recently um, regarding uh, psychological and emotional stuff that's going on in our nation and in our culture. And the thing that I keep seeing every time, these books and research papers and, and websites that I hit, every time I keep seeing these statistics of how many people are on medication for anxiety and depression in our culture. Some of us right here in this room may be on those kinds of meds. You know why? Because we're struggling. We don't want to keep going. We're discouraged. We're disillusioned. We're disappointed with things. And for someone to come alongside and say to us, hang in there. I'm praying for you. Hang in there. I mean, it, it's an encouragement just to, just to know that someone is there and praying for you, but to, to feel, to, to sense that they are coming alongside to encourage you. I think it was um, John Acuff who said, you know, that you could be a thousand encouragements and one criticism, and what do we remember? The criticism. And all of us are that way. I, I want you to think right now, when was the last time you got encouraged by someone? I would dare say, it would take us a while to think about when it happened. You know why? Because it doesn't happen enough. And I want to be, and I think you want to be, a person who loves others. And I want to work on this. These these things I'm listing, they're things I'm working on currently. It's like, God, help me to encourage people around me. Help me to send those texts, to send those cards, to give those words. All too often, We think it, but we don't do it. We think, I should encourage him. I should encourage her. Oh, that was a really good job. I should say something. We never do. And all the time, those around us are drowning in discouragement and disillusion and disappointment. And your encouragement can make a difference. Because all of us are looking to get recognized for what we do. And all too often, it never happens. It doesn't happen at work. It doesn't happen at home. We don't get recognized. Get this one down. Those around me need recognition. They need recognition. I mean, come on. Have you ever had somebody pat you on the back and say, good job. I saw what you did. Even if it wasn't something publicly, maybe it was something behind the scenes, and someone comes alongside at work or at home or whatever and says, you did a good job here, thank you. That recognition, oh man, that recognition goes so far, doesn't it? It makes such a huge difference. Words, cards, gifts, texts, celebrating what has been done. So we can encourage and we can recognize. But also because so many people are lonely and hurting and worried, those around me need to know someone cares. I want you to get that one down. Not only do we need to encourage them, not only do we need to recognize what they are doing, who they are and that they have a purpose in life. We need to let them know that someone cares, that someone is actually watching and cares about who they are. Friends, let me give you a bit of advice here. In loving somebody else, you don't need to fix them. You don't need to fix their problems. See, all, all too often we think when we come across someone who we, we see, oh, man, they need love. They've got a lot of issues. They need someone to care for them. And you know what we do? We pull back because we think, I can't fix their problems. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have, man, they got too much baggage. I, don't, I just don't know if I want to get involved in that. They don't need you to fix their problems. They need to know that someone cares about their life about what they're going through, what they're feeling, what they're facing. They need to know that you care. Sometimes the issues that they are facing are way beyond any fix. Those around me, they just need to know that I care about what they're going through. They need to know that I'm praying. Some of you receive texts from me occasionally and I say, hey, I'm praying for you today. You came to mind, I'm praying for you today. I don't necessarily know what's going on, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Because I care about what's going on. And listen, anytime I text you and say I'm praying for you and, you, and you think to yourself, man, I wish Bart knew what I'm going through. Please, let me know what you're going through. It will be confidential. But I would love to focus my prayers more for you. Instead of just, I, you know, I'm praying for Brooke. No, I'd love for Brooke to say, Dad, can you, can you pray in this way? And, Absolutely. you know, Because I want you to know that I care about you. And that's that's what we should do for people around us. You say, "Well, you know, my coworkers are not so much into Christian and, and church and all this." Doesn't matter. Man, if you come alongside them and if you have built some kind of a relationship again, I'm talking about the people that are around you. If you have some kind of relationship with a coworker, you could I mean, they already know that you are a religious person. Or a church person or what hopefully they already know that. And if they already know that, they're not gonna be offended by you saying, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. My prayers are with you. You know? It's it's a huge thing to let people know that we care about them. They simply need to know that. And can I say that for us as a church, if I can just speak to you as a as a pastor and a friend? For us as a church, Pathway Church, we are a friendly church. But these three things, we struggle with to each other. You know why? Because we don't know each other's lives. We don't really know what's going on. I know you by face and by name, but I don't know what you're going through each week. Sometimes I'll ask you, I'll talk with you, and I'll ask you, hey, how was your week? I'm not shooting the breeze with you. I'm wanting to know what is going on in your world. How's work? How's your family? I, I, I want you to know that I care about that. And we, as a church, we got to get better at this. Because we have people who are struggling right here. We have people who are ready to give up. We have people who are dying to be recognized in life to know that they have a purpose in what they're doing. We, we have people who need to know that someone cares about them. Pathway Church, we don't encourage, we don't recognize, we don't show we care enough. We need to change that. I mean, the church, if we are part of the church that Jesus is building, if we are part of the church, which is, listen, the church is the representation of Jesus in our world today, the visible representation of Jesus. Jesus is no longer here, right? He, the, the scripture says that he told his followers he was going back and he, and he left and ascended into heaven is what the book of Acts tells us. And he's at the right hand of the Father now. So Jesus is not physically, visibly here anymore. And yet he left the church to be his body on earth today. If we are to be the physical, visible place where people are experiencing Jesus, shouldn't we be the kind of place, more than any other place on the planet, where people can be encouraged, recognized, and know that someone cares about them? Shouldn't this be us? Shouldn't this be how we love each other? You might say, well, I don't know what's going on in their life. That's your fault. Friends, listen, if you don't know what's going on in somebody else's life, you aren't aware of them, and that is on you. And what does John tell us? If you don't love your brother or sister, you don't love God me put it clearer. If you don't love your brother or sister, you're not following Jesus. So how can you call yourself a Christian? That's how serious this is. Hmm. How can can we change this? I mean, I, I struggle in being aware of people around me I I mean maybe this is just my confessional time to you maybe you're not you know dealing with that in your life but I struggle with that because I get focused I am a task kind of person and I get focused on what I need to do this morning I had to make a run to Vons before we came in this morning before eight and I and I'm in Vons and I and I mean I'm on mission Okay, and, and I come into the store and I'm just walking right past and I know the aisle and I get what I need and I'm, I'm on the move, right? And the, and the, the cashier, the young guy, and, I, and checking out and, and I'm not even looking up. I'm just pulling out my Vons card and I'm sliding in and I've got my credit card and I'm doing that, you know, and, and I'm getting my items. I haven't even looked up and he says to me, so what are you doing today? And I thought, I'm going into this, to this message about loving people around me and being aware of their lives. And I haven't even looked at this guy yet. And before you wag your finger at me, we are all guilty of this. Right? Right? So how do I become more aware of this? How to become more aware of people around me? How can I get my eyes off of me and look to those around me? Let me give you a few ways that I'm working on. <laughs> you can see that. First off, I need to watch those around me more. I want you to write that down. You say, well, that's pretty easy. That's, I can understand that. Yeah, write it down. We don't do it. Get your eyes up, right? Get your eyes up. Start watching people around you. Friends, let me tell you, we, we can learn so much about each other if we just start watching each other, if we start paying attention to what's going on in each other's life. I'm telling you, when you talk to people, you can begin to pick up signs of stress and signs of struggle and signs of depression and discouragement just on their body, on their face, on on the way they carry themselves, the way that they're talking with you. You can pick that up. If they're ready to give it up, you can pick that up just by watching and and paying attention, being aware of them. I mean, look at what Paul tells us in Philippians 2. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Man, sorry to break it to you, but that doesn't come naturally to us, does it? For me, I got to work at paying more attention to people around me. I pay way more attention to my own life and what I need to do and not to that cashier that I should have talked to first. Next, I need to pray for those around me more. You know what I've learned? Prayer changes me. Doesn't always change the circumstance, doesn't always change the situation. Prayer changes me. Whatever I pray for, I become focused on that more and and maybe that's just my personality type but man when i start praying for something i want to know is it working and so if you ask me to pray for something just so you know i'm going to be asking you is anything changing what's going on how can i pray more you know why because i want to see if it's working I wanna see if the problem is changing, if the situation is changing. I, I, I wanna see if God is answering my prayers because I'm truly praying for you. Why do you think I have us pray for each other so often in our service during our worship? Not just you know in circles, but sometimes even when we're praying as a group and I say, God, we just pray for each other around us. I, I'm, I'm doing that so that it becomes familiar, so that it becomes a habit in our lives that we would pray for each other. When was the last time you prayed for someone at Pathway Church? And not just you know oh, I pray for Brooke. I'm using it as an example. Brooke, sorry, I'm praying for Brooke today. Praying for what? Do you even know what she's facing? Hmm. I need to pray for those around me. Ephesians six. I love this out of the message paraphrase. Says prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Without giving too much information, can I just say that we have several people, and I'm not just talking two, I'm talking several in our small church here at Pathway that are truly struggling in life and we are not covering each other in prayer you say well Bart I don't know all the information Can I? I know I'm kind of changing my tune here but you don't have to know if the person is not willing to give you all the information just pray for them we need to be praying for each other lastly I need to ask questions of those around me more. I need to ask questions. You say, well, what does that have to do with becoming more aware and focusing on people around me? What does it mean? You know what it means? I gotta talk to people. And I know some of us are like, oh. <gasps> I have to talk to them. Yeah, you got to talk to your coworker, the person you go to school with. You know, your your, your neighbor. Oh, you mean I got to cross the street? Yeah, you got to cross the street and talk to your neighbor. You got to talk to them. And when you do, I know talking to people is a struggle for some of us. I mean, even here on Sunday. We call ourselves a friendly church, but we really don't know what's going on in each other's lives. We come and go on Sunday, and it's like, eh, good to see you. Don't want to talk to you. Love you, brother. Have a great week. And we keep on going. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, keeping to ourselves. Not too long ago, I was trying to get a couple involved in one of our small groups last year. And I was told that they didn't want people trying to know about their lives and so they quit coming to our church. Now, this is going to sound funny, but I'm okay with that. Because I hate to tell you, but being a part of each other's lives, that's what the church is all about. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what John is telling us. That's what Paul is telling us, that each other, that's us, that's church, it's each other, Being a follower of Jesus is all about loving each other, right? That's what Jesus calls us to. And so when we're talking with others around us, we all have a habit that we need to stop and break. We all have a habit of talking about ourselves. What we need to do is we need to start asking questions. Now, this is one that I'm still working on, but I'm pretty good at this. I I deflect. If you start asking me questions, and don't do this at Rubio's, okay? But um, we're sitting there at lunch today. Don't start trying to, you know, stop me and get me talking about myself. I'm pretty good about deflecting, and I'll start asking you questions about yourself. You know why? Because I want to know about you. I already know about me. I don't need to talk. In fact, you've heard enough of me today, right? And everybody said, amen. Right? I mean, come on. You've, You've heard enough of me today. So I'm looking to ask you questions to find out more about you. Why? Because I want want you to know that I care. I want want to be able to let you know that I care. So in that text, or that next time I see you and talk with you, I'll be able to say, hey, how did that go at work? Or, hey, how's your mom doing? Or, hey, you know what? I'm I'm tapping in. I'm connecting the dots of our last conversations, of those questions that I asked you. I'm pulling it in. And I, you know, hey, Emmett is a great one at this. I love this little note. He's old school, so he carries this little calendar book, right, Emmett? And he writes information about you. When he meets you, he's writing information about you so that he'll remember it later. I think that's an awesome thing, Emmett. I need to learn that more. I need to to remember stuff, I need to ask questions about people so that I get it, so that I can let them know that I, that I care about them, that I'm paying attention. Nothing bothers me more than when someone is not paying attention to what I'm saying. Maybe you're the same way. The way that we show somebody else that we're paying attention and that we really care is by repeating their story to them how do you know what's going on in their life? Ask them. Ask. Ask questions. To wrap off, I want to read something that Paul wrote about love. And um, I was actually going to use this text as kind of a key text today. But when I started studying it and reading it, this expanded version of love, I became so convicted because this isn't me. I bet it's not you either. I have so far that I need to go on loving people around me. Listen to what Paul says. I may speak in different languages of people or even angels, but if I do not have love, I am only a noisy bell or a crashing cymbal. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may understand all the secret things of God and have all knowledge. I may have faith so great I can move mountains. But even with all these things, if I do not have love, then I am nothing. I may give away everything I have. I may even give my body as an offering to be burned, but I gain nothing if I do not have love. What kind of love? Agape, love. Selfless, sacrificing love for other people, for the benefit of someone else. And then Paul takes this passage that we throw into weddings all the time, right? He takes this passage and he expands it. This is not a nice wedding passage. This is a convicting, challenging passage that Paul is writing to the, first, the church in Corinth, and he's telling them, this is what you got to live up to. This is how we're supposed to love each other. How are you doing on that? And this is what he says to us today. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not selfish. It doesn't get upset with others. Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. Love patiently accepts all things. It always trusts, it always hopes, and it always endures. Hmm. That's the goal. Don't just know about love, but show love. That's what Paul's saying. This is what we, as Jesus followers, are called to do. We're called to love each other in this way. And the context for this kind of love, guess what, is the church. And I would like to say the context for this kind of love needs to become our church, pathway church. You know what? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Love. And I think Jesus knew That if the church gets this right, everything in our world changes. Is it the church's fault that the world is so messed up? No. But could the world be changed if the church gets it right? Yes. Jesus says, all people will know that you are my followers if You love each other. Would you bow your heads with me?